in part one of、uh, this episode, she talks to me about his experiences in helping bring the FI to China. And in part two of this episode, he's going to talk to me about how he thinks China-Mina relations, especially China-Saudi relations, can develop in the next years to come. It's like FII that you know attracts these guys and、uh, try to build new business opportunities, and that's what we do in filling that gap. Mm. So basically, you are saying for some of those companies, they don't necessarily have a specific goal when they come to the kingdom. Instead, you know, they are searching for opportunities by having discussions with different people and potentially, you know, different other companies from the kingdom or from other parts of the world. I think the way、um, you know Chinese market is so huge that when they when companies eventually decide to have an overseas presence or strategy. It's quite difficult to have a comprehensive global view because there's a lot to process on top of their Chinese business. So simple things like, you know, in the Arab world, we work from Sunday to Thursday. That can come as a shock. And again, it's not ignorance. It's just they have so many options to choose from.、Like、really focusing on one or two、um, takes time. Yeah, yeah. So when you brought those Chinese business people and companies to the Middle East, how do your Middle Eastern clients and contacts view Chinese companies? In their honest opinion, if you can share any, you know, obviously people, it's possible that you know people talk about something, but then you know, in their honest opinion, think differently. What do you think、uh, they have in mind? So obviously, you have the more pragmatic. Businessman, or、uh, even you know, at times government official, but then you have the,、uh, let's say, extremely social ones—the ones that really want to make friends first before they do business. I think I have easier time with these guys because I think we shared that much in the culture, establishing trust, making sure that everybody's on the same page, is very is more important than hammering out a specific business deal. So in that,、mm. um, I think、um, there's a lot of willingness and and everybody motivated to do that. Though, given the,、um, I mean, it, it it tells the tale when majority of the people still have to go through、um, Dubai or Abu Dhabi to access Saudi, because it's not the daily flight from Guangzhou to Riyadh.、Um, it's been difficult. So creating、um, the sense of community or the occasions for them to socialize,、um, we we think that's important, but there's not nearly as enough of these. So we need to do more in creating this environment for people to get to know each other a little bit better.、Mm-hmm. So that's what you call part of creating trust between the two sides. What What else do you think, realistically speaking, that can be done more in order to create that environment to create that trust? Well, I think language is a big part. You see, when I when I'm dropped into a meeting, people don't necessarily know where I'm from. I have. At the moment, it's a this crazy American accent because I worked in America for a little bit, and I think that eases them because still there are more、um, let's say English-speaking guys operating in the region. So、um, even from small things like language, easing everybody into the same environment or the same conversation is, is quite important, not to create the immediate sense of strangeness or hostility. Besides that, I think. You know, I might say Lady Fortune. There's a lot of 
um, small things going on or, you know, in this year, the coronavirus is quite big. Um, these kind of things. So without, um, you know, I'd say a little bit of luck, but obviously I'm stretching the world. Uh, you know, G20, this kind of thing definitely helps. Uh, but sadly, we won't have a physical G20 this year. Right. Are you working on G20 yourself? Well, G20 is quite a vast and extensive organization. So we are part of the, um, the Y20, Youth 20, uh, as a knowledge partner. And this is hosted by MISC Foundation. Um, the event site, uh, we were involved in a lot of the G20 events, but obviously the physical events are called off. Uh, we're still on hold on the exact plans for the other stuff. B20, the summit and everything. So not so much at the moment. Sure. For the listeners who who don't really know about MISC, maybe you can introduce MISC a little bit because I know you know it's a it's a driving force behind a lot of um, exciting initi initiatives, especially it's to do with the young people. Yeah, the MISC is not immediately clear to English speaking uh, people, but it's Mohammed bin Salman Foundation, so it's the Crown Prince's personal foundation. Um, it's an impressive organization. Um, I won't say run by young people, but certainly um, the young guys are driving a lot of their underground initiatives set or um, navigated by the Crown Prince's vision. Um, it's, it's absolutely um, a an, an, an brilliant organization. I hate that uh, a lot of the times their target of politicization, I think is wrong. I think giving young people voice is never wrong in, in our society, especially now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree because, uh, you know, in Arabian Monitor, the company I work for in London, we often get uh, young interns from Saudi Arabia who are studying in the UK and all of them are so brilliant and all of them receive really strong support from the Saudi government to pursue their degrees overseas. And then upon returning to the kingdom, they enter, you know, the public services, for example, uh, working in ministries, etc. And I'm sure some of them probably end up working for MISC as well because of the vision that um, MISC holds. Um, so we've talked a little bit about the event side of things in Saudi Arabia. And if we go back to the lovely topic about China-Mina relations or China-Saudi relations more specifically, what do you think is currently lacking? You mentioned trust but I'm sure there are other things that can be done. Well, well. So, um, sure. So I think it was 2019, cause, you know, we all have to forget and forgive 2020. So 2019, um, there were only a handful of meaningful high-level exchanges between China and Saudi Arabia. They were, um, they were making sound progress with the UAE. I think the Chinese leader was quite active in some other parts of the Arab world, or MENA world, or MENA region. Um, but specifically with Saudi Arabia and a few other countries, um, we lacked uh, a few sort of more substantive avenues for exchange. I think partly it was because everybody were banking on G20 being in Saudi Arabia. So that's, again, the Lady Fortune part. Um, I would describe the uh, relationship as a bit of, you know, both sides are trying to reach out to shake hands, right? But somehow they miss each other just by just a little bit. So the hands are never fully shocked, but, you know, just by just a little bit. So there's no, no shortage of willingness. And there's no shortage of balanced views of, of China or on China in the region. 
So what Western media or what President Trump is saying is one thing, but I think a lot of uh, Saudi businessmen or government officials or the wider media region, everybody are thinking highly critically of the international situation and, you know, have their own opinion about it. So I think, you know, once again, it's about lacking uh, sufficient avenues to extend and build up on the relationship we have already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you mention President Trump and the U.S. I think it's 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 a topic that's been hovering above us for the past. I mean, I know four five year four years, but especially for the past months. What's your thought on the U.S. foreign policy in the GCC and uh, in particular with regards to Saudi Arabia and how that's gonna, for example, affect? Your Chinese clients. Well, um, I don't know if Chinese guys are thinking about the geopolitical situation quite the same way, because China had been sort of dealing with either uh, a nation nation state setup, you know, until we fully opened up to globalization, or seeing the world by and large, you know, post Cold War, a bipolar kind of um, setup. China and America, or, you know, the world to China is America and everybody else. So coming to MENA, the only thing you have is, you know, small chaos somewhere and a very multipolar uh, setup in the power structure. You do have regional hegemon, but by no means they can overshadow regional conflict or control regional conflict. So that, I think, confuses a lot of people. So the default of Chinese guys is let's hear what the Chinese government is saying because you know some of the construction, some of the the one belt one road initiative. Certainly, the uh, driver, the, the the engine of this project are Chinese government money. So you're better off following the Chinese government. You'll never be wrong in these kind of sort of situation. But gradually, I think we're coming out to see. Okay, so there is Iran, there is Saudi Arabia, there is Israel, there is you know the, the Israel Palestine. But then there's also the new generation, right? Saudi is going through that generational change. So whether they will maintain the uh, loyalty to the Palestinian cause, their uh, need for the U.S. for security, and their energy future, um, these are moving parts. And that's increasingly being seen. So I think that's very good, but it's only starting to be seen. So there's a lot of education that need to go into this to form a better judgment and worldview. And this is this extends beyond yeah. the business community. I think the Chinese government or foreign ministry um, should also pay bigger attention on the region rather than just bilateral relationships. Because I think on a bilateral basis, everybody's cool. Everybody's really chilled with China because we're not necessarily a hostile player in the region. I think that's a very interesting perspective that we divide up bilateral relationships and looking at MENA as a whole region. Yeah, I mean, it's complicated. <laughs> I think it takes, you know, guys decades to, you know, scratch the surface of these conflicts. You know, things go back to 30, 40 years, but then some, some other issues are rooted, you know, in, in, in sort of older history. So I think it just it just takes time, and China is rising toward power. As I you know I don't subscribe to the theory that we already are. I think we're still learning, we're still building the, 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 our global view, and that's something I think will take some time. But uh, eventually, we need to get there. Mm-hmm. 
What you have described to me in terms of what you do actually makes me feel, you know, you are, what you do is part of facilitating this communication between the two sides. So what's in the pipeline for you, yourself and your company and your team in the next 12 months, let's say? I even think 12 months is a stretch <laughs> of imagination for where we are now. However, I think it's also important to... Well, I, well I get, and, and again, I'll, I'll answer this, but I'll give you another sort of answer to a slightly different uh, question. So we say, um, I think universally, we we've foremost, we say we're a strategic communication firm. So a lot of our initiatives starts or projects is initiated by strategic consulting. And this includes uh, narrative, includes, you know, basic communication, setting a relationship and all of that. But stuff like strategic uh, communication, narrative, these concepts are not very well translated in China. So when we started the business, trying to make sure the Chinese guys understand what we're trying to do and contribute was a bit of a struggle. They just think, oh, if we follow the government's guideline or their direction, we will for sure get it. That was true for um, the better part, the better part of last decade. But you know, things are changing, so I think increasingly we're we're playing a more proactive role and we're getting more comfortable with it. So for the next twelve months, I mean, it's a bit of a bummer. Um, there was the uh, the G twenty, so you know necessarily there will be a state visit by Chinese president to uh, to Saudi and then possibly to few other neighboring countries. So these usually are very positive signs to the business community. On top of that not happening in the, in the foreseeable future, uh, the business community is not traveling so much at the, at the moment. So I don't really know. We have three projects in the pipeline, uh, merge acquisition, uh, we're building a business ground up, and we have another investment project. So I say for the time being, I'm staying put in Dubai to try to uh, operate and complete the three projects and see what comes up. Yeah. So how's life in Dubai? Good. Um, <laughs> Dubai is an easy place to, uh, <laughs> to move into and then set up your life. Um, I don't think, you know, in anywhere I've lived, I have a swimming pool, a supermarket, a gym within my building. So that's very good, but it doesn't help that there's over a thousand or so case count, uh, new cases count every day in the UAE. They don't break down as Dubai or as Abu Dhabi. But in any case, the second wave is for sure feeling more closer to home than you know than the first wave. So say for the time being, working from home, mm. uh, working out, it's a very structured life. Oh, that that sounds good. You know, it's a good life balance for a very hectic schedule that you otherwise yeah i think i mean london's better for the time zone so here i do still have to occasionally stay up late for america but communicating with Mm. china is fine Uh, with latin america i have to stretch my time a little bit but otherwise it's all good can't complain yeah that's why that's exactly what dubai sets out to build itself into right the international hub for yeah quite right They, they should with the help of the time zone as well. Guess what? <laughs> okay, I think um, we've touched upon most points that uh, we wanted to discuss. Thank you very much for your time. And I think what you have, I think your perspective is especially interesting, obviously, for a lot of companies that are looking to break into the market, but then they have nowhere or no one to turn to to get either their information from or even to be part of those 
very high profile events that could help these companies themselves raise their profile. And um, I think vice versa, it's the same story with um, with the MENA parts. Sometimes, you know, they see uh, this really promising Chinese, let's say, company in a more innovative sector. And, but literally, all they see is the piece of news on Google or Nasdaq uh, listing and um, really nowhere to have um, you know, nowhere to build a communication channel with them. So I think, you know, what you do is absolutely important at this time, and especially in, in the current environment where so much more communication yeah, is needed. Yeah, no, I think definitely there's no uh, shortage of willingness to understand China, to learn about China. And um, that's, you know, a good thing for, uh, for everybody. Yeah. Uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, you? what's the best Do way? You? <laughs> if anybody's listening here. Um... <laughs> sure. Everybody, please feel free to inbox me and I will pass your contact info to cool. Chi. Cool. All right. Thanks very much. Brilliant. And take and care take in, in Dubai. Dubai. Hopefully, I'll, I'll see you soon, Definitely. either in Dubai or in London, hopefully. Yeah. There you have it. That's my conversation with the Chi Tian. Thank you very much for tuning in today. As always, your feedback is much appreciated. And please do let me know if there's a topic you want me to cover as well. And I will try my best to include that into my future podcasts. For now, thank you all and take care.